Well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us today. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside, and we know you could be a lot of other places, so thanks for being here with us. If you're new, make sure and stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. Even if you hate it, even if you never want to come here again, we still want to give you a gift. It's a coffee mug and some coffee. We all love coffee, so just take it, all right? And so uh, we're so glad you guys are here. Uh, apparently, there is a football game going on tonight. But it doesn't involve the Packers, so I don't care. And so um, sports are dead to me right now. I don't know about the rest of you guys. But anyway, uh, so we are in this series, Wonderland. And so we're so glad you guys are here with us. We're in the second week. And so we started last week by kind of just saying like this idea of we all wonder about certain things when it comes to life, when it comes to the world around us, when it comes to things. And if you're anything like me, if I'm sitting in bed at night and I turn the television off and I put my phone down and I'm sitting and look at the ceiling fan... Sometimes my mind just starts to wonder and race. And I start to think about all kinds of things and deep things and not deep things. And, and so the question we proposed to you guys last week is, when you stay up late at night, what do you wonder about? What is it that you think about? And last week we started this series by saying that we shouldn't ignore some of these things that we wonder about, especially when it comes to faith and some of these things that matter. And we should dive into some of these things and ask some of the tough questions and be willing to have some of these hard conversations when it comes to faith. And so what do you wonder about? One of the things that I wonder about maybe more than anything else is us. And what I wonder about is how we actually got here. And how we became who we are. And questions like, what does it actually mean to be human? And what does it mean for me to be a human? And how do we navigate this kind of direction and this path that we've been put on as humans? And we live in this great big world with all kinds of people with different thoughts and ideas and opinions and different views on things. And so what does it actually mean for us at its core value to be human? There's this great line, if you paid attention last week, we're kind of basing some of this off of Alice in Wonderland, and there's this great line from the book where it says, who in the world am I? All oh, that's the great puzzle. And so who are we? Well, the first thing that we have to acknowledge that we are is that we are humans, all right? And as human beings, we are complicated clods of dirt and water and clay and stardust, right? We are, we are very complicated, because what's so fascinating about humans is we're so capable of such beauty and wonder and awe. I mean, we, we are capable of doing some amazing things. We, we are capable of, capable of creating such amazing things in this world. And at the same time, we're also capable of creating pain and destroying things and creating chaos all of us in this room are capable of building each other up and encouraging each other and making the world that we live in a better place and the lives of the people around us better, but we're also capable of tearing each other down and hurting each other and wounding each other. And every day as a human being that wakes up into the world, every single one of us have a choice when we wake up. We have a choice on the type of people that we're becoming. We have a type of choice of the way we're going to in interact with the world around us. We have a choice every day of how we're going to do this life that we've been given and what we're going to do in this world that seems to be around us. 
Now, the Bible, it starts with this kind of narrative, and you're familiar with this story, and, and you've, even if you've never been in church, you're kind of familiar with some of these characters, and the main character, obviously, is God, and so we're in church, so we talk about him, and then there's also the story of how man comes into existence, and the Bible says that it comes into existence through one man named Adam. And some interesting ideas come out of this story. And so the first thing we have to realize is in this story that the writer tells us is that we are created in the image of God. In fact, one of the things that kind of separates us, according to the story, from everything else in creation is literally as God is creating everything, that he breathes life specifically into man. And so we're kind of this unique creation. The other thing that we see is that as God creates the world and as he creates man, he leaves man to tend over this world, to watch over this world that we've been given. That we, he actually created us to create. And it's kind of fascinating that we, as we study this creation narrative that God creates, but then he creates something that also furthers that creation story by the things that we create. And we do create. We have created some of the most amazing things. We have created some of the most beautiful things. We have created some of the most tasteful things, like brisket, right? We've created things, but we've also created other things. We've also created things in our world that, again, cause pain and hurt and confusion, and so however you explain the world, whatever your view of the world is, of God is, of humanity and how we got here, one of the things that becomes obvious as we study this whole thing is that there's something broken in the world, that something isn't right, that something seems a little bit off. And so what's interesting is when we are operating at the best of what we're capable of, we can inspire so much. But then when we see the worst of what we are, it also seems to crush us and those around us. And so when it comes to us and who we are, I think one of the things that we often need to talk about is how we actually relate to each other. And what does this actually mean to be human and in human relationship with each other? It often seems that one of the most difficult things in life is to simply be human or at least be humane when it comes to our interactings with each other. We understand what it is that, why can't we seem to relate to each other? Why is it that we see, if you study human history, that we move from war to war, from conflict to conflict, from violence to violence? And then when we think about us personally, why is it that it, we struggle so often to have healthy, meaningful, lifelong relationships? Some of us in this room, if we were honest, we're, our lives are defined by conflict. Some of us seem to be relational transients all of our life, moving from one relationship to another relationship and one friend group to another friend group. Some of us, and don't look at anybody, but drama seems to follow you, right? It seems to be almost every part of your life. And then some of us, we find ourselves in this kind of thing where you keep repeating the same patterns over and over again. And it's not only hurting us, but it's also hurting the people around us. And we can blame people all we want for every problem that we face. But as we've said before, what's interesting is you have been a part of every bad decision that you've ever made. And sometimes we have to own that. 
The other thing I think about when it comes to God is if God really did create this and he created man and he kind of had this plan, kind of what this creation would look like, I think sometimes we have to kind of ask the question is, you know, what does this look like when it relates to God and what God intended for us? And I think one of the things that happens in church is you expect coming to church to learn a lot about God and we're going to talk about God and we talk about God a lot and teach what the Bible says and all of these things. But one of the things I think is fascinating is if we learn a lot about God, but we never understand more about ourselves, then sometimes we miss part of the point. If you learn about God, but not how to relate to each other, again, maybe we've missed part of the point. And what's interesting is the Bible sometimes has as much to say about how we relate to each other as humans as much as it does about how we relate to God. You should read it. It's a fascinating book. And so, how are these things all connected? So in order to start this conversation that we're going to talk about today and in the next week, I want to go back to the beginning. I want us to be on the same page about what it means to be human. Now, I do want to give a caveat because I realize for some of us listening online or in this room, or Genesis is one of these really confusing books. And there's a lot in this story that can be confusing to us. And I know that for some of us in this room, we have different opinions and views on the creation narrative and how that relates and all of that stuff. And for some of us, these creation stories, they raise alarms and some confusion. And and some of us, we were, listen, I get it. And I'm fully aware of all of those things. In fact, the reality is some of the things that come out of the book of Genesis are some of the things that you wonder about when you wonder late at night. And some of the questions and concerns that you may have about this narrative are some of the same questions and concerns that maybe I'll have. And we'll get to that at some point in time. But here's what I want us to do. I want us all on the same page. And so all of those things, I want us to push aside for just a second. And I want us to focus on this one element of the story. And sometimes when we read things in the Bible, even the confusing things, what we should often do is say, what is the storyteller trying to tell us in this story? And so you have God, and you have man represented by Adam in perfect harmony, creating and working and tending and keeping and walking in the cool of the evening. The Bible uses kind of this language that it's like paradise, that like it's the way it's supposed to be. It's the Garden of Eden. It's the way that God intended the world to be, and everything is perfect. And the other thing that we see is there's no separation between God and man. And so I want to ask you a question as you think about that stories and you kind of replay that first couple chapters of the Bible in, in your mind. Here's a question. Did Adam have any needs? And so here's what I'm asking. As humans, did we have any other needs when things were exactly the way they were supposed to be? Before sin and pain and heartache and conflict ever entered the world. Now, the reason I ask that question is I think for some of us, we would say no. Like if we had God and we were in perfect relationship with God and we had all of the animals that we needed and the plants that we needed to survive and all of this and everything was the way it was supposed to be, then there would be no other needs because Adam or man had God. And maybe we've been taught that that we have no other needs because we have God. And maybe that's a belief, and I'm not saying it's a wrong belief, that if you have God, you wouldn't have any more needs. But um, here's the problem. If you've given your life to God, you know that's not entirely true, right? You still have 
other needs. Now, there's this song that we sing where we say, you're all I need, you're all I want. You know that song? It's a great song. It's a wonderful song. I've sang it, you've sang it. The problem is when I was singing it, I knew I was lying. Because God's not all that we need. Now, before you write me off at a heretic, hear, hear out what I'm trying to say, okay? Um, you ever said, I love you with all of my heart? You ever told your wife that? I love you with all of my heart. That's not true. Um, because I do love my wife, but I also love pizza. And, and so if I love something with all of my heart, then there's no room for anything else. But, but I also love of pizza. And, and, and so we can say this, like, God, you're, you're all, that, the, all that I need, right? I can say that. Um, but I also really need coffee, right? And so you have this kind of dynamic where, yes, God, we say, is all we need. But the reality is, is we have other needs, don't we? We have other wants. And Adam finds himself in paradise. And, and you can say that, well, yeah, he had everything that he, he needed in God. But, but that's actually not true because he also needed oxygen to breathe. And he needed water to drink. And he needed food to eat or he would die. And I say that, and you're, I don't know if you know where I'm going here, but, but I say that, and you might say, well, those, those are all just physical needs. Those are earthly needs, okay? Like oxygen's just an earthly need, and food's just an earthly need, and water's just an earthly need, and all you really need is God. So if that's your viewpoint, what I want you to do is just exhale real quick and save all the oxygen for us in this room that need it, okay? Because if all you need is God, then just you, you save that for us. See, there's other needs, and so you need oxygen, and then you need water, because you can't live long without water, and you need food, you can't live long without food, there's four things, let's see how long some of you can go without caffeine, right, some of you, let's see how long you can go without Amazon, that won't last long, so maybe we should rephrase this thought, God is your greatest need, but he's not your only need. And here's why I say that. God placed humanity in the garden, not only with a need for God, but he actually made us dependent on creation for our existence. But there's something else that we need. Now in this narrative, God creates everything. And if you read the first chapter, everything that God creates, it's good. He creates this, it's good. He creates this, it's good. He creates this, it's good. And then he creates man, and he says, it's very good. And then if you just turn the page, and you get to Genesis chapter 2, we find that God finds something in this world that isn't good. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, this is not Adam saying this. This is God saying this. So in the backdrop of everything that God's created that's good, and then he gets to Adam and he says that it's very good, all of a sudden now we have this problem. I mean, he's created the ever-expanding universe and galaxies and solar systems and black holes and dark matter and dark energy and all of these things that we're just now finding out even exist. 
and he creates it all. And on the sixth day, he creates the man and he says, it's very good. But then all of a sudden, there's this realization that something isn't good. That, that man, that Adam is missing something. And, and it's something that Adam is completely unaware of that he's actually missing. And I think sometimes what happens is some of the greatest tragedies in life is that we keep asking God for things that we need when our deepest needs are things that God is often trying to bring to our attention. And so the Bible says, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Which should raise a question. Was man alone? No. God was there. But it wasn't good for Adam, humans, to be by themselves as humans. And the story tells us, it goes on to say, but for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. And it should kind of be odd when you read this story in the context of what the writer's trying to say is that he does have a relationship with God and he is also part of the community and connectedness of the planet and the animals and all of these things around him. But, but God realizes it's not good for man to be completely by himself, isolated and alone. And so the Bible tells us, and I'm not sure if this is exactly how it happened. Don't get caught up on this, but I do love this part of the story. So the, the Lord God calls the man to fall into this deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the flesh around it, right? And then he's going to do something, right? He's going to create something out of it. Then the Lord God took, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So this connection we, we, we need as humans, um, it, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and it, was, it was good. And, and so we have to realize is that part of being human is to realize that we were made for relationship. See, again, we're made in the image of God and God is in relationship. And so it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to do this journey alone. And, and so one of the things I hear that bothers me sometimes is I hear people say this when it comes to like faith and understanding God is they say, I don't need church. Or I don't need organized religion. In fact, I've heard so many people say, I don't need organized religion. Well, the good news about Journey is we're so disorganized sometimes that you, you would love it here, right? All right? And, and we actually really don't like religion. So you're, you're, you're going to find it perfect here for you. Um, but here's what I've found. Sometimes when people say that they're not into organized religion, what they're actually saying is, I don't need people. I'm not into people. And, and it's true, for some of us, it's so much easier for us to walk through like a forest or to go to Bernheim and go on a hike and feel like we find God there. Or maybe it's being out on, on the open water or going to the beach and, and seeing <clears throat> the vastness of the ocean and having this experience because the reality is that people can be difficult, right? And people can be complicated. Have you ever noticed, and this is just my observation, so you, you, this isn't in the Bible, but it should be. Um, have you noticed that the people that often say that they don't need people and like people because they're complicated and difficult are often the most complicated and difficult people themselves? Isn't that interesting? And part of us is this realizing that we need something because there's this broken thing going on. In fact, I would argue that it's hard to be connected to God if you're not connected to people. And, and so he puts man to sleep and then he creates another person 
out of this creation that he's made. And this is interesting detail. Maybe you've never thought about it, so I'll think about it for you. Um, why does God have to do it like this? Because he created Adam from dirt. I mean, his name, literally, Adam, Adame, is earth man, which is actually better translated as ground man or dirt man. So if you're a man, you come from dirt. But then we have this woman who's created, who's created out of the DNA of the pinnacle of the creation of human beings or of God's creation. So think about this. So, so ladies, just hear this out. Adam is made out of dirt, so if you're a man, you're the direct lineage of dirt. Eve comes out of the complexity of creation that God calls very good. So the beginning matters, doesn't it, right? But why did God do it like this? And maybe one of the reasons that God does it like this is this, and it's interesting. Do you realize that according to this story, the first woman created comes out of man but every man that's ever existed since then came out of woman. And why did God have to put a human being inside of another human being? And could it be that for us to kind of realize this connected moment, see that from the time that you came into existence, you were dependent on another human. And so all of us as we're born, we're born into a womb. And so there's a period of nine months-ish where we are completely dependent on another human. And, and then we're born into this world and, and the cord is cut for the first time. And now not only are you directly connected, but now all of a sudden it doesn't end there. Like as, as babies, like you are completely dependent on another human for a period of time. And as children, we're dependent on our parents to provide for us and to be in relationship. And isn't it interesting that all of a sudden we get like 18 years old, 19 years old, and, and it's even earlier now, it's like 14 and 16, and all of a sudden we feel like we don't need that. But it did not start that way. You began your life and into this world dependent upon other people. And maybe God is trying to teach us something here. Even about the way we come into the world that we are dependent on relationship, not just with himself, but also for each other. So maybe the Adam story is to teach us that even if the conditions were perfect, it would still not be good for you to be alone. That we were created for each other. And then at the end of the chapter, there's this little fascinating detail. Um, it, it says this. It says, they were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I would love, and I'm sure all of you were, to be naked and feel no shame. But that's just not going to happen, right? But in this story, we see this, that they're naked and they feel no shame. And it's not just talking about the nakedness of their body. I think what's interesting is it, what this really means, there was nothing hidden between them. Their connection was so complete that they knew everything about each other and it wasn't terrifying. See, I think we live in a world where we could never live to this. Because for somebody to know everything about you, even the closest person to you, including your spouse, it would be a little bit terrifying, wouldn't it? 
If someone knew all of your motives and all your inner talk, how long would that relationship even last? A huge part of making relationships work in our world today is what we're able to keep hidden, right? And yet in this moment where things are exactly the way they're supposed to be, there is this nakedness, there is this everything's out there, and there was no shame between people. And yet now we find ourselves in this system, and we wonder why we can't connect. And maybe it's because we're closed off. And maybe the reason we can't connect is because we're filled with shame. And we keep hiding ourselves from other people, pretending we're somebody we're not. And sometimes it's hard to be fully accepted by another human being who completely sees you for everything that you are because our belief is we won't be loved then. And they won't want us. And so we have intimacy issues and we have relationship issues. But yeah, what we see, the world that God created in the beginning is two people, humanity coming together in complete unity and harmony with each other, completely un ashamed and that's what God created for us to be human but then things got really really complicated and it wasn't Adam and Eve we blame Adam and Eve one of you all would eventually ate the apple trust me okay like it's not them like this is a human problem and it got complicated And it got complicated to the point of this world that was created where Adam is in relationship with God and then Eve comes into the picture and now man is in relationship with each other. Humanity is in relationship with each other and there's nakedness and there's no shame and there's no secrets and and there's such a connection between them. There's such a unity between them. But all of a sudden everything gets messed up and now all of these years later, here's where we're at. We are in a room filled with people And some of you in this room still feel completely alone. We could be completely surrounded by people that will tell you, bless you, when you sneeze. And yet, you could also feel completely disconnected. And the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where there's so much disconnection that some of us are drowning in it? Rusty had said a couple weeks ago when he had taught on on the first week of the year that we live in this world where because of media and Facebook and all of this social media stuff, we have more opportunity, be more connected than throughout human history. And yet more people claim to be lonely and isolated. Which leads me to Jesus. It should lead you to Jesus. See, Jesus comes along and he sees all of this brokenness. There's like even parts where Jesus comes along and he's standing on a hill and he's looking at at this this city full of people. And, And the Bible says that what Jesus feels in his heart is sadness. Because it's like all of these lost sheep without a shepherd. And it's all these people living their lives and there's chaos and there's disconnection and there's all of these things. And one of the things that happens is we often misunderstand what Jesus does when he's here on earth is Jesus not only shows us what God is like, Jesus also shows us what it means to be human. And he shows us what this new humanity could look like. 
And Jesus does this really interesting thing right before he's about to go back to the Father. And and so Jesus is going to say a prayer. And and you may not know this in the Bible, but Jesus says a prayer for you. Now, we're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer. That wasn't actually Jesus' prayer. That was a formula that he gave his disciples on this is kind of how you should pray. But in John chapter 17, we actually see the thing that Jesus prayed. And it's actually fascinating. Of all of the things that Jesus could have prayed for, for you and for me and for everybody that's going to live, here's what we see that he prays. Ready? He says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, so these guys that are following him in the moment, but also for all who ever believe in me through their messages. That's you, by the way, right? That's all of us. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So here's something. We're going to start. What Jesus is praying for is that we would all like be connected again. That we would all be in this relationship with each other. I have given them the glory, verse 22, you have gave me. So they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you have sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that an interesting prayer? And isn't it interesting how wrong we've got it? See, I hear all this language about God's glory. And I hear people talk about God's glory all the time, but nobody ever talks about what it looks like. And Jesus, who is our best understanding of God, this is what he says about glory. He says that these people will actually come together and be one. That's what he says glory looks like. That people will actually come together and be reconnected and actually become one again, as it was so long ago. He says, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought together in complete unity. Is it possible that this is the pinnacle of spirituality? Is it possible that the pinnacle of following and understanding God is all about how we connect and relate to each other? That you've been created and you've been designed for relationship, not only with God, but also with each other. The maturity that you show in your faith is not about whether you come to church or not, or if you know all the songs we sing without looking at the screens, you're pretty cool, right? You know, or, you know, this type of thing, or you can quote Bible verses at people all day long. What if the pinnacle of maturity is actually how you connect and relate to other people. Maybe the truth is the reason that life doesn't seem to be working right now is because we're not working at it together. And what if that's why everything is so messed up? Because let's be honest, right? Community and relationship is difficult. Community takes commitment. Family takes commitment. Being a unified people takes commitment. See, for some of us, let's be honest, okay? It's so much easier for us to say that we love God because I can't gauge that. 
You can raise your hands. You can give some money through the app or through the offering things. You can show up. You can quote your Bible verses. It's really easy to say you love God. But how much is it harder to love people? Because people, you may love people, but they may not love you back. And you may commit to people, but they may not be committed to you back. And you might be loyal to people, and they may betray you. And so Jesus comes to show us what it means to be human, but Jesus would never do something he wasn't willing to tell us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. Because did you realize that's everything that Jesus experienced? He loved people who didn't love him back. And he committed to people who weren't always committed to him. And he was loyal to people that even betrayed him. Is it possible that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus? See, I hear people say all the time, like, we want to go deep in our faith. You ever heard that? You ever said that? We want to go deep in, in our faith. Isn't it interesting that every time someone wants to go deep in their faith, it's always about information. It's never about relationship. And the Bible keeps pushing back and saying, no, it's about relationship, not information. I want to go deep. And when people say they want to go deep, you know what they want? They want to learn about doctrine and beliefs, and you keep wanting to study the book of Revelation for some reason, right? That's what you want. I want to go deep. What if God only has one deep, and it's the human depth of love, not only for God, but for other people? Is it possible that spiritual maturity is measured in community? Is it possible that spiritual maturity is made evident in the health of your relationships You want to know how spiritually mature you are? Check the relationships in your life. You want to know how mature you are? Check the people in your life. Check how your life affects other people's. Then maybe you will know the strength and power of your spirituality. Being spiritual is about getting your hands dirty, helping to heal the wounds of humanity and the relational divide that we all feel, and making this world a better place, not just for ourselves, but for others which is, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did. It would have been so much easier if Jesus had just come into the world and written volumes and volumes of books, which he didn't, by the way. He never wrote anything. But instead, what he chose to do is to walk among us. He chose to heal the sick, to embrace the lepers, to know the poor, to call out the self-righteous, to be around the downtrodden and the outcast, and to show them that they had value and worth in this world. And if you read the words written about him, he called us to do exactly the same thing. Jesus chose to get in the mix of our mess to be a part of the human condition so that through his death and resurrection, he might be the beginning of the new human connection. Jesus came to heal the relationship between you and me and God, but he also came to heal the relationship between us as human beings. Jesus came to restore relationship to help us to understand what it means to be human so that we could work towards humany, 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 (laughs) sounds like comedy, unity and wholeness again. That once again, maybe it would be possible that we could see each other and not be ashamed. To be human is to be in relationship. And this is the way it is from the beginning. And this is the way that Jesus shows us to live. But as we know, relationships can be tricky and it can feel like a never-ending cycle of the same. 
So what I wonder about sometimes late at night, is it possible to break out of that? Is it possible to actually be in true relationship with each other and with God? To be something else entirely. But in order to see how deep the rabbit hole goes, you'll just have to come back next week. Let's pray.